This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. I'm the president of World Ministries International, as well as Eagles Saving Nations. Go to my website, please, worldministries.org. That's worldministries.org. And see what World Ministries International is all about, as well as Eagle Saving Nations. I know I meet with world leaders, apostolic leaders, governments, and I get there through prophetic voice, the office of a prophet. And God shares what's going to happen. It comes to pass. I get invited. And then when I'm meeting with them, sometimes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like a word of knowledge, is in operation And I continue to share what God is saying to them. But the church is in trouble today. The church is the reason why we're in trouble in the nations. We're falling apart because of the church. The church is dysfunctional. We've got to have another great awakening, a national revival. We need Pentecost. And again, that's the purpose of Eagles Saving Nations. Go to my website once again, worldministries.org worldministries.org, and join Eagles Saving Nations now. Now, this program today, this shortwave program, very exciting. I have with me today George Carneal. He wrote the book, From Queer to Christ. And then you're going to hear a message I gave at our staff service on trumpets. So sit back and enjoy these two programs that we've combined for your shortwave listening pleasure. God bless you. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. I'm the president of World Ministries International, as well as Eagle Saving Nations. Please go to my website, www.worldministries.org. That's worldministries.org. You need to join Eagle Saving Nations. We've got to have another national revival. That's a great awakening. That means repentance at a national level. If not, we're losing America. Judgment is going to come down. Four sins bring judgment on a nation, idolatry, immorality, killing the innocent, and dividing the land of Israel. Now, I have a special guest on today. His name is George Carneal, and uh, he authored a book, From Queer to Christ. Welcome to the program, George. Thank you for having me, Dr. Hanson. Well, now, the title of the book, From Queer to Christ, so you were in the homosexual community. Yes, for 25 years. Okay. Uh, so why don't you give us a little bit of your testimony? Uh, how did you become a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, my father's a pastor. I did grow up in the church, and I had a, a, a pretty strong faith. I definitely believed in Jesus. I gave my life to Christ at seven. Uh, but through a series of events of, that I outline in my book, I detail what really led or laid the foundation for me going into the homosexual lifestyle. Okay. And having spent 25 years in there, I wanted to write a book just to share, hopefully to help Christians understand what it's like for someone who is struggling with their faith and a same-sex attraction and really right. what the pitfalls of that life are. Wow. So, you were 25 years in, the, in a homosexual community. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how old were you then when you got out of it? I was 18 when I went in and 43 when I came out. 43. Wow. So can, why don't you tell us a little bit about that then, um, uh, what you went through and what brought you out? Well, when I first went into the lifestyle, 
the foundation that had been laid, I was really bullied by my male peers and rejected by them. And I also didn't really have a close relationship with my father. So there was a real lack of male bonding. So when I went into the, a gay bar for the first time at 18 and guys were treating me differently than the way that I had been treated as a child, I really became addicted to that life. And I didn't realize it, obviously, hindsight, I realized that my need and desire to sleep with men was really from a void from within. And I was looking for a, a man or that male attention and affection to feel something that I didn't realize only God could feel. And so having spent 25 years in sleeping with hundreds of guys, which is the norm, the promiscuity is really rampant in that community. But eventually God started just to dismantle the lies and through a series of events, which I outline in the book, uh, really helped uh, me to wake up. And it was really the beginning of leaving that lifestyle. Wow. So you slept how many men? Hundreds. Hundreds. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That's the norm. That's not an exception. That's, it's a very promiscuous lifestyle. Right. And I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging. That's just what I was looking for something to fill that void. Well, I'll tell you, um, people don't understand what is in that community. Uh, the LGBTQ is trying to uh, promote it as just an alternate lifestyle, uh, safe. Uh, yet, uh, uh, in that community, what I've studied, there's there's a lot of lawlessness. There's a lot of uh, uh, real perversiveness, uh, uh, pedophilia, everything. Uh, tell us a little bit about that lifestyle, what you found uh, when you got into it. I was surprised looking back how quickly I descended once I went into that lifestyle. At first, it was fun. It felt good. So, of course, you go with your feelings, which is what liberals do. And I thought this feels right. So, this is what God wants. And, and this is who I am. But as time went on, I was becoming more I, – I, I, the sadness was just starting to kick in. Something wasn't filling that void. And within three years, I was battling drugs and alcohol. I, was, I had a sex addiction, and I turned to prostitution. And uh, eventually attempted suicide. And it would still be another 22 years before I can get out of that life. And so, Dr. Hansen, what a lot of people don't realize, and this is no different than a woman who sits in a bar and sleeps with a lot of men. There's brokenness. There are some real root core issues that many of us are dealing with from, train, from shame, trauma, shame, uh, rejection, et cetera. But it was just really, I didn't know that God was someone who could help because I you know, a lot of the LGBT community, they are raised to believe that God hates fags and fags are going to hell. He created AIDS to kill the homosexuals. You hear that kind of stuff. And it stole my hope. So, I never thought that God was the answer. And so, I was looking for it through sex, through drugs, through alcohol, through Hinduism, through the occult, new age teachings. I really went down a lot of paths just trying to find something to fill that void. And I couldn't find it. But eventually, God revealed himself and, and through a series of events, uh, just started to awaken me and uh, drew me back to him. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, I want to get into that, how you came out of it. But uh, I also want to go a little bit uh, because, again, the LGBTQ is trying to portray themselves as this uh, very safe community when uh, I understand there's just a lot of lawlessness. There's even rape. Uh, there's abuse. 
and uh, people aren't safe in that community. Would you like to talk a little bit about that, George? Yes, it is a very dangerous and destructive lifestyle. It's the domestic violence issue for gay men is there just like it is in the heterosexual community. But some may be surprised to find that even in the lesbian community, the domestic violent rates are much higher. And that is something that's not often spoken of in the media. Um, Additionally, just aside from the sexually transmitted diseases, which AIDS is hardly ever talked about anymore, but we, but the older gay men, we remember a time when I came out, people were just dropping like flies. And I knew somebody who had lost, I think, 50 friends by the time he was 25. Wow. And just stopped counting at that point. Not to mention the, the danger of meeting strangers on the apps or back in the day when they didn't have the internet, you know, in parks or back alleys or the dirty bookstores or what have you, you really run the risk of being drugged, raped, robbed, and murdered. And it's, it's, it's commonplace. And I had a friend of mine who was very close to me who was murdered by someone he met on an app. So it happens. I was sexually assaulted twice and those things do happen. And so when Christians feel that they are doing a service to those individuals by affirming them because you think, well, this is the right thing to do. Love is love. And Jesus is all about love. You really have no idea what you are pushing them into because the outside world is only getting a bird's eye view of what the homosexual community is like from the mainstream media and Hollywood. You really have no idea how dangerous and destructive that lifestyle is. I have seen gorgeous men who were professionals who had successful businesses get involved in that life, get on drugs, party to the point of where they lost everything. They turned to prostitution, became HIV positive. Some went into the porn industry. I have seen the casualties in that life, in that lifestyle, not only with that, within, but even with the transgender individuals. So it's, you're really pushing them into a lifestyle where they're not only not going to have any peace, but you're pushing them into further rebellion against God. And sadly, I had to lose 25 years of my life and a lot of heartache to figure this out. Wow. So you're actually pushing them into, uh, if we want to say, destruction where you're not yes. just uh, tolerating them, but you are destroying them. I mean, uh, again, they're trying to be portrayed as uh, this is a normal lifestyle. Uh, it's an alternate lifestyle and live and let live. And uh, these are kind, good people. But uh, what you're saying is there's just a lot of problems in that community from lawlessness to rape, anger. Um, yeah, George? I mean, the whole thing that they try to purport that we're a very loving, tolerant, caring, inclusive, respectful community. It's a bunch of crap, to be quite honest with you. They are just as hypocritical and outrageous and two-faced as many of the Christians that they rail against. Yes, we have some within the Christian community who could learn to better understand the heart of Christ and have more empathy and compassion and have more love. But there are many within the LGBT community who could use this a lesson in that as well. They are just as hateful. So we need to stop this sitting on our high horses acting like, you know, one community is worse than the other. They both have their faults, but there are also some good people in the Christian community who really have the compassion and the heart of Christ. And they care about these individuals. They are broken. It is a broken community. And we really and being that I was in it, I understand the need for compassion and empathy. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you've just tuned into the warning program, whether you're listening or watching, this is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, president of World Ministries International, as well as Eagles Saving Nations. Go to my website, worldministries.org. That's worldministries.org. Please join Eagle Saving Nations today. We have got to have a national revival, a national repentance. We've got to have a great awakening. That's worldministries.org. Join Eagles Saving Nations. Special guest, George Carneal. He authored the book, From Queer to Christ. Uh, George, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Well, I wanted to write the book to give Christians some insight into this issue. And to also, at the end of the book, I take all of the talking points of the LGBT activists and the liberal theologians. So if there are Christians who are a little gun shy about witnessing to these individuals, if you'll read it and familiarize yourself with those talking points, which I debunk with scripture, it will better equip you in terms of dismantling the lies that they've come to believe because most of the LGBT individuals are not going to sit down and read God's word to find out the truth for themselves. So that was number one. But number two, I wanted parents who have LGBT children who are distraught because it's breaking families apart. A lot of the kids are abandoning their faith, cutting themselves. They're in and out of mental institutions, attempting suicide. Some have successfully done that. There's a lot of issues, but I want them to know that there is hope and to hopefully see what to do and what not to do in handling this situation and to understand this is something and nothing that God can't handle. And then lastly, for the LGBT individuals who've been brainwashed by the lies, I hope they will read it. And if they can get honest with themselves and say, I really am not happy in this life. All I would say to them is that no matter how you feel, even if you feel like a piece of garbage, that God could never love you and you're feeling suicidal. I've been there, but I want you to know if God can transform my life, he can do it for you. And all I'm saying is this. You have nothing to lose by giving God a chance, and he is your best ally, and Jesus loves you. Well, that's wonderful, George. Uh, You know, I'm curious, how did you get out of that lifestyle? How did you really come to know the Lord as Savior? Because that's what it took. How, How did you become a real Christian? By the end of my time in that lifestyle, and sometimes the gay men will come at me and they hate me for saying this, but... I left the lifestyle about a year, year and a half before God even became part of the equation. I still wasn't sure God wanted to have anything to do with me. I told God I hated him. I hated Christians. I didn't even, I wasn't even sure God loved me, but God was so gracious and good. And I want to say this, especially to parents who have LGBT kids. If you think that your child is too far gone, even when I was so fully immersed in that life, one night I was going into a gay bar with some friends and God turned down everything all of the noise around me. And he actually said to me, if you were to die tonight, would you go to hell? And it stopped me in my tracks. And sadly, I dismissed God. I wanted nothing to do with him. And I'm so thankful he didn't take my life. But the point is this, even when you think your kids are so involved in this darkness that God is not even there, I can't tell you the number of times God showed up even when I should have been dead. And I was in some very dangerous situations. So I outlined this in the book. But I say this to encourage Christians because we have the power because of prayer. And so, Dr. Hansen, for me, because of the Christians in my life who weren't woke and they were willing to be honest and speak the truth of God's word in love, they kept me tethered to God. And 
just keeping me grounded and just reminding me how much he loves me, but this lifestyle is wrong and it's an abomination. And uh, it just took some time, but God really worked on me and helped me through it. Wow. Pedophilia. You want to discuss that a little bit? Yes. I've been warning for years in media interviews that the end goal of this is really to not only legalize pedophilia, but at some point bestiality. Um, and people laughed at me. And now they're starting to see while they are grooming the public to start accepting the fact that pedophiles, it's really more of a sexual orientation. And what people don't realize is that the end goal, the agenda behind the agenda is once they legalize pedophilia, if you continue to support a party that supports these policies, and that's the Democratic Party, and I'm not trying to get um, uh, political, but the facts must be stated. If they can legalize this and get it to happen, the day will come where when grown men and women want to have sex with your children and grandchildren, if you dare to balk and they put this under the LGBT umbrella, you risk being arrested for a hate crime. And this is ex the end goal of what they are going to push for. And right now, I know in Germany, the bestialists are demanding that the laws be overturned to legalize that. In Spain, they recently have legalized bestiality. So, the more that this continues that we go down this slippery slope, the more of the perversion is going to be legalized and and protected, whereas everything that is godly and good and holy is going to be criminalized. And the end goal is to really shut Christians up and shut all opposition up to this agenda. How do you think that uh, such a small percentage of people have turned the mindset worldwide around. Do you see this just as, as the homosexual? Uh, they have such a great, uh, uh, what should we say, a, a, a such a programming and spokesman that they can, they can turn things around? Or is there something far greater like the United Nations and the uh, one world government that, that is really attacking Christ and trying to turn things upside down? Definitely the latter, but I will say this. One thing I've noticed about gay men, they know how to mobilize and get things done, and they have money and they have power, and the tentacles in the media and advertising and in the political realm and so many other areas, they've gained a lot of control, but when you also have a complicit media and uh, the Democratic Party and the world leaders and the globalists all backing it as well and, and criminalizing they're it, there is a huge monster machine that is supporting and pushing this and giving them the power that they need and slowly crushing the opposition. Well, I believe it. I mean, in America, if you know anything about what's going on right now, this is a communist uh, takeover. We're in a coup in progress, and only the yeah. church can stop this insanity. But most of the church is so dysfunctional, they don't seem to understand what's going on. But, yeah, uh, yeah you have the world elite, the United Nations, uh, supported by the United States that are pushing this this new world order mentality uh, coming against the old world order of Judeo-Christian values. And so we're, we're in really a lot of trouble. We're fighting way more than just uh, uh, one or two percent of the world's population. People don't understand the spirit behind this whole thing. Uh, George? Dr. Hansen, this is what infuriates me at least since I've been out of that lifestyle, I remember decades ago when I was trying to get help from pastors, people didn't want to deal with the homosexuals. We don't know how to deal with you. Just leave. Let's not talk about it. Uh, 
When I come back now and say, hey, God brought me out of that lifestyle, I'm finding that most of the churches are compromised now. They fully embrace the LGBT agenda. Now I'm rejected. And it's just laughable as at, in terms of what has happened to the church. And I'm so disgusted by the gutless pastors who stand in the pulpit and they fully embrace it, even people like Andy Stanley. And they really have no idea because they have no fear of God. It's really just a fear of people. They're compromised themselves, and they have no idea how they are harming the individuals by pushing this agenda. And additionally, when you have these Christians who sit in these churches who want their ears tickled, and they're not going to say or do anything, because most have the mindset of, oh, well, what can we do? Jesus is going to return soon anyway. Who cares? And God tells us to occupy until Jesus returns. So you've got a lot of lukewarm, apathetic individuals within the church who are so compromised and gutless, and they won't allow people like me into the churches to sound the alarm. Thank God there are some pastors out there who have allowed me to speak at conferences and go into the churches and sound the alarms, but not only that, to talk to the children because they are so groomed with this nonsense in the media and in the movies and the music industry um, and even in the school system. They won't even allow me to come in and give a different narrative and try to warn about the reality and the danger of what is going on. So it's really a frustrating thing. Well, I understand what you're fighting. You know, the Bible talks about principalities and powers of darkness. And uh, again, there is a world elite that's pushing a new world order, a one world government. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, they are directly against God and Christians are in the target. They're in the limelight as far as uh, with a bullseye on their back. So they want to take God out of the equation. Uh, They want to take, again, the family out of the equation as far as man and woman, because that's the government of God on earth. And so this is a direct assault, if you want to say, on God himself, the true God, the living God. And uh, pastors themselves, you know, they've compromised we are supposed to be salt and light, rule and reign, occupy, take dominion, but instead we've allowed culture to influence us instead of we're influencing the culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, I totally agree with you. We have we we're in a situation where pastors, for a great deal, uh, they've lost their first love and they're compromising, and um, we're in deep trouble because the church is sick. Uh, mm-hmm. George, I absolutely agree. And the other thing for the pastors who have been in the churches and stand in the pulpit and they rail against the homosexuals and the sodomites with such fury, but yet they're soft on the adultery and the sleeping, having sex outside of marriage or people living together. I find it hypocritical. Totally. But then secondly, when the LGBT individual leaves that lifestyle, Dr. Hansen, this is the dilemma. The LGBT community is going to turn on them. They turned on me. And so when I went into a church, I needed a support system. And most of these individuals who go into these churches, you have pastors and Christians who are ill-equipped to deal with the individuals trying to get out of that lifestyle. And that's why people like me are desperately trying to help Christians understand this issue so they can better help these people. But once these individuals get into the church and they are not finding a support system, they fall back into that lifestyle because at the end of the day, We are all lonely or we want to love and be loved. We want some kind of uh, companionship or family or friends around us. And it's the loneliness and the isolation that sends them back into the community. 
And the church has got to wake up and stop sticking their heads in the sand and not, oh, I don't want to hear anything that's uncomfortable until you understand this issue and what people face in that lifestyle and what they need when they're coming out. Just like anyone who's dealing with drugs, alcohol, pornography, the best way to help them is to be armed with the information so you can be better equipped to help them. That's what they need. Well, I totally agree. Uh, transgenderism, you know, uh, if we want to say tran- transition surgeries, uh, uh, infection, hormone imbalance, indoctrination, uh, uh, President Biden uh, pushing to do uh, surgeries for these children. You know, that's flat out child abuse. And uh, I mean, whoever thought that a president or anybody else in authority would ever be speaking how they're speaking today, but they are. And, and what do you think about these surgeries that they're promoting? I think every doctor... First of all, I think every counselor who affirms it and puts them on the fast track to then meet with the doctor and the doctor who then just fast tracks them through the surgeries and every parent who affirms this, they all need to be arrested and the, and the medical professionals need to lose their licenses. And these counselors and medical people need to spend decades in prison and they need to be held accountable for this child abuse. They're not stopping and listening to the transgender individuals who are detransitioning, who are on social media crying and expressing how they were duped. They were guinea pigs. They should have been given counseling versus cross-sex hormones or cross-sex surgeries. And when they talk about the complications, the botched surgeries, the infections, one girl I know has had over 30 surgeries to correct the initial botched surgery that she got. And just the heartbreaking stories you hear, not to mention what the cross-sex hormones do to the body and increasing the risk of strokes, heart attack, um, blood clots. And then once they have the surgeries, I don't want to get graphic, but if you could listen to the stories of what happens to the men once their male anatomy is removed and what they have to go through, and for the females who have their bottom surgery, once they get on the, the cross-sex hormones, if they don't have the bottom surgery, they risk the increase of ovarian cancer. And there's a whole onslaught, just infertility uh, of issues that uh, happen as a result of getting on this. And no one wants to talk about it because the media is complicit and they all just want to say, oh, you can walk in, do this plastic surgery, and that's all it is. And you can become someone of the opposite sex. They can't change the chromosomes, their DNA, and God certainly doesn't make mistakes when assigning our gender. So for these Christians who support the Democratic Party and support these policies, basically you are saying to God, you made a mistake and we're going to correct this. And I would hate to be you on Judgment Day. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, you're listening and watching The Warning Program. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, President of World Ministries International, as well as Eagles Saving nations. Please go to my website, worldministries.org. That's worldministries.org. Once again, worldministries.org. You can sign up for my free pastoral articles that go out twice a month, absolutely free. You can donate to keep us on your local radio or television station and join Eagle Saving Nations. We need to have another great awakening. We've got to have a national revival. We're trying to get into the NFL stadiums, the NBA stadiums, the civic centers, and let Pentecost once again come down so Christians move with power and authority instead of fear and intimidation. The other side is uh, trying to intimidate the people that call themselves Christians and keep their mouth shut when truth takes away deception. Prayer brings conviction. If we don't Once again, get back to Pentecost like Peter 
who was afraid, a coward, a liar. He ran and hid, he lied. And then once he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he spoke boldly and 3,000 were saved. You know, George, we've got to have another great awakening. Exactly. And Dr. Hansen, you nailed it. Until the Christians in this country repent and show true remorse and say, God, we have failed you. We should have taken the lead. We should have been telling the truth all along instead of worrying about offending people. Until they do that, I don't see this turning around. And I, and like you, I really believe God's judgment is going to be soon if the church doesn't wake up. I, it's, it's very distressing to me. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to have another great awakening. The only thing that's going to stop this insanity is if the church will stop it. If not, the republic's going to fall. And I'm telling you, Christians are going to be incarcerated. Yes. We are going to be incarcerated other than those that go along with the devil. And many will continue to compromise and they'll continue to do exactly what the government said. When Romans 13 says all authority is under a higher authority, that means, you know, communists like to use Romans 13, communist governments. But yet that means all authority is under a higher authority, which is God. And so if the government is in violation of the morality of God, we are supposed to come against that government as far as their laws, their policies, civil disobedience. You know, when they tried to close down the churches, I went on the air on radio and television and I said, pastors, don't close down. Uh, this is totally unconstitutional. They have no right to close us down. And I'll tell you what, but most pastors go right along with the government. It doesn't matter if it's a communist government or not. They go right along with them because again, they have a, a relationship with God that is not filled with an ongoing, if we want to say baptism of the Holy Ghost. George? Dr. Hansen, what I would say to the individuals listening, if they knew what was happening in Sweden, Canada, the UK, Germany, and France, it's so tyrannical in these countries that if you dare to post anything against the LGBT community, and in some instances, Islam, the police will show up at the door and arrest you. I also know of instances of where parents who didn't affirm their children who were wanting to transition or they wouldn't even call their child by the preferred name or the preferred pronoun, the police also showed up and arrested them. And some have had the children removed from their home. This is how tyrannical the laws are in other countries. And you need to keep an eye on California because they are already pushing laws that will eventually trickle across the U.S. If people knew how dangerous this was getting, they're not going to stop. They're not your friend. And the only thing I can do is say the day is coming where if you dare to speak out on any of this, you are going to be arrested and have your life destroyed. People better wake up and fight back against this agenda now. And by that, it means we must absolutely destroy liberalism, stop voting Democrat. We must absolutely flood the House and the Senate with uh, or Congress uh, with good God-fearing Christians. So maybe get on the school boards as well and keep that. Uh, sex ed curriculum garbage out of the school system, but go to God. And if he's leading you to, to get into politics, we could turn this whole thing around if we could really get God-fearing Christians on board and to flood uh, our government with, with Christians. Worldministries.org, worldministries.org, worldministries.org. Keep me on your local radio and television station. Give your best donation. Join Eagle Saving Nations. I'm going to have George Carneal on again next week. Okay, this is the 
Feast of Tabernacle Season. Uh, this is actually today, September 30th, 2023. And for this year, it started last night. The Feast of Tabernacles, that season. And it will end uh, next Friday evening. And so we're going we're gonna to be celebrating it then too. But I'll give you a little preview, a little bit about uh, what the feasts are all about. You have the spring feast, you have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Now, obviously, each one we could discuss for hours at a time, but I'm just going to let you know Passover, basically, the lamb's blood, uh, looking forward to the blood of Jesus Christ, that last sacrifice and perfect sacrifice that gives us eternal life. That's what it's all about. Unleavened bread, dealing with sin. We need to deal with ourselves daily. Uh, Jesus took our penalty on the cross, but we need to now, uh, if we want to say, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't purposely sin. If you do, say, God, forgive me once you recognize you're in sin. And nobody's perfect. Uh, just get married and you'll find out. Right. If you don't know, your spouse will tell you. But uh, first fruits, resurrection day. Uh, <laughs> that's always in the, yeah. amen. That's <laughs> resurrection day. Resurrection day. I have eternal life. Now this is a live audience. If you don't know, with children, uh, you've already heard. I'm this. We're at World Ministries International Campus, and this is our college chapel. And then again, we have Pentecost the Holy Spirit in power. That's what we need, and that's what Eagle Saving Nations are all about. Once again, the power of God coming upon the body of believers to go forth without fear and intimidation, with power and authority, speak the truth. Truth takes away deception. Prayer brings conviction. Stop this communist takeover. Amen. Again, we need the power of God, Pentecost, like never before. Again, worldministries.org, worldministries.org. Check out Eagle Saving Nations, please join with me. Let's get into the stadiums and see the mighty move of God. And now the fall feast. That's what we're in today is the fall feast. And uh, we're going to look at trumpets today. Trumpets. We are in the fall feast. Now, I'll tell you, um, Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, Feast of Booths, it began last night, September 29, at sundown. It ends this Friday, October 6, 2023, at sundown. Now, I'll give you the difference. Every year it's a little different because we're under the Gregorian calendar. Uh, it's named for Pope Gregory VIII, who established it in 1582. It's a, based on the sun or solar calendar calendar, sun or solar calendar, uh, the sun god, uh, the pope. And anyway, we don't follow the pope, but in America, we're still following the Gregorian calendar. The Jewish calendar is a moon or lunar calendar. The solar calendar is 11 and a quarter days longer than the lunar calendar. So there's the difference. It changes every year. But now let's, let's look at, again, trumpets. Trumpets. That's what we're celebrating and teaching on today. I'm going to be talking next week on atonement and then on tabernacles itself. But the Feast of Tabernacles, it was the last required feast season. It included Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. Now I'm using as my notes, obviously, the Bible. Leviticus 23 goes into the, all of the feast. Uh, also, Jesus in the Feast of Israel in the book uh, by Richard Brooker. And uh, there's so many other resources. 
But uh, again, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. As with Passover and Pentecost, all Jewish males were required to journey to Jerusalem for its celebration. So, uh, if you were a Jewish male, you'd be required to go there. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated during the Hebrew month of Tishri. This is the end of the harvest season. It was also called the Feast of Ingathering, you know, gathering the harvest, Exodus 23, 16. And by this time, all the harvest was complete and both the land and people were at rest. Ingathering, you know, we're getting ready. The first four seasons feasts have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The next three will be fulfilled when he returns. You know, the trumpet of the Lord, atonement and tabernacles, the Lord with us forever and ever. So this is what we're talking about. He's going to ingather his people very shortly. And he is pulling together right now the bride of Christ to come together because we're in a great falling away and, and it, we're going to see very soon who's a real Christian and who is only one by name. Because if you're one by name, you will take the mark of the beast. They're trying to force things on you right now. And uh, only true Christians understand the seriousness of her and the, the evilness of it and why they want to depopulate the world. Uh, the clear teaching of the feast season was that God wanted his people to learn to rest in him. We don't have to be afraid. No matter what the enemy does, we can rest in him. Look at the apostles. They died for the Lord. Most all of them did. Martyrs, they rested in him. Do you know who you are? We have eternal life. We never die. When you understand that, you become a danger to the enemies of Jesus Christ because they can't intimidate you any longer. They can't blackmail you. Yeah. Yes. We're not afraid to die. And then you are dangerous. Yes. Up until that time, they can use things against you and you compromise and you go along with the flow. At the end of the harvest season, again, the Feast of Ingatherings, the clear teaching of this feast was that God wanted his people to rest in him, not to be afraid. It represented a third of the major encounters that the believers can have with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, the Feast of Passover teaches us a what? God's peace. Pentecost, God's power. Tabernacles, God's rest. You know, we're, we're in a fight right now, but the Lord is going to return and we're going to be resting and celebrating for eternity. You know, the, the, the bride, Passover lamb, the, um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that great celebration feast uh, that the Lord is preparing for you and I. And, and it talks about it. I know we have good food here when we have our Hot blessing, so to speak. Everyone brings something. We have a great food and great cooks here. But let me tell you, sorry, ladies, but you will not compare to heaven. Right. And uh, I can't wait for these, uh, you know, for the delicacies of heaven. Because uh, even though I love the cooking in this room, don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't think you can, you can uh, <laughs> compare with what God has prepared for us. Amen? Amen. 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 What you say, honey? The Feast of Passover, God's peace. Pentecost, God's power. Tabernacles, God's rest. Now, we want to look at, again, um, trumpets today. Trumpets today. We might want to take note that the religious feast 
were religious seasons representing God's dealings with the Jewish people as a nation. Okay? Uh, they symbolize major encounters between God and his people. By the long summer months when there was no feast, you know, we have the spring feast, and after that, the Feast of Pentecost, then a long summer month, and now the fall feast. But uh, that represented basically the time of the church, the church era. Uh, pretty soon the church era will be over and the Lord Jesus Christ will return with a shout and those that are dead and alive will join him in the air. You know, the trumpets will blow and then he himself will take care of evil governments, remove them, put in righteous leaders and uh, either the church has done a good job some of the church and some of the church has not done a good job. They've been asleep. But man's time of dealing and representing them as ambassadors on earth, we're supposed to be salt, take dominion, rule, reign, occupy. If the church has done its job, we'd have no problems in the nations, but the church has not done its job and the nations are under evil men and America is about ready to lose its, its freedom because the church is dysfunctional in America. Jesus will return and our job will be over. If you've worked hard for him and have not compromised, represented him in truth and reality, let me tell you, you'll be one that will rule and reign with him. And uh, maybe he'll commission you. You know, I'd love to take over Washington State and put uh, uh, our governor in his place. What do you think about that? Amen. And uh, anyway, praise the Lord. So, the Feast of Pentecost continues right to the future prophetic time of the Feast of Tabernacles. We're in that time of Pentecost. We're supposed to move with power and authority, right? That's what Eagle Saving Nations all, is all about. Get back to the basics. Jesus said, Terry, don't even try to represent me until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Problem is too many people are trying on their own merit, their own efforts, and they're failing miserably. That's why you don't see miracles. That's why you don't see casting out demons. That's why a lot of pastors don't even recognize it because they're failing miserably because they don't obey the commission of Terry and don't even try it until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So this, these are the instructions, the marching orders. You say, you know, why, where are miracles? Well, if you're not continually baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see miracles. You're going to read about it. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to give your excuses why they don't happen today. Well, they don't happen today in your vanity because you are so vain, you don't think you need to do what Jesus said in Terry. You think you can lead the church on your own merit. And that's the problem. We cannot lead the church with our own strength. We need the Lord. Again, there was another feast, and we're talking about now the Feast of Tabernacles. The key purpose of this discussion right now, if you look and you talk about Leviticus 23, 22, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. The stranger. Who is the stranger? The key word for the purpose of this discussion, stranger, it refers to the Gentiles. The story of Ruth and Boaz in the Bible. Uh, Boaz was a rich Jewish landowner. Ruth was a Gentile, a Moabite, who gleaned in the fields. Ruth married Boaz as a result, became a partaker in the covenant promises God had made to Abraham. Okay, thank God that we have been grafted in. We are part of the same body, uh, the body of Jesus Christ. I will make you a father to many nations. God promised Abraham. And we are grafted in. We are grafted in 
to the vine. Ruth married Boaz. As a result, we are partakers of the promises that God made Abraham. Likewise, likewise the Gentiles have become partakers in certain of the covenant promises of Abraham through their spiritual marriage to Jesus Christ. Boaz is a type of Christ. Ruth is a type of the church. I think it's more coincidence that God put this together for us to, to study. Type of Christ, type of the church. <clears throat> the church period fills the great gap between the two comings of Jesus. The first coming, death on the cross, and now his second coming. He became the first time a Passover lamb who died for our sins. He sent the Holy Spirit to initiate the age of the church. When the church age is over, he will come a second time as a lion from the tribe of Judah to rule, not only as king of the Jews, but king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. So he won't come back just for the Jewish people, but he comes back for all nations, all people, all those that know him as Lord and Savior. And even if you don't know him, he comes back as your judge. The prophetic significance of the Feast of Tabernacles is it represents the end of this age and the return of Jesus Christ and his final encounter with the Jewish people. Paul summarizes it all uh, in Romans 9 through 11. Romans 9 through 11, if you want to look it up. Now, the main purpose of the Feast of Trumpets was to announce the arrival of the seventh month in order to prepare the people for the Day of Atonement, which was 10 days later. Now, the seventh month was special because it was the last month in the religious season. It was a time when God would complete his dealings with the people for that year. It was also the last time they were required to go and journey to Jerusalem and follow the following year <clears throat> at Passover. Now, the day was not marked by any special events other than the blowing of trumpets and the offering of sacrifices. Numbers 29, 1 through 6. You know, Jesus was our great sacrifice and the trumpets will blow and the dead and Christ will rise. And on and on and on, if you study the book of Revelation, you see the different trumpets. And they have meaning. I don't have time to get into explaining you Revelation today. But uh, the Hebrews always blew trumpets on the first day of the month so everyone would know the month had arrived. <clears throat> Numbers 10.10. 10. But on the Feast of Trumpets, they blew them extra long and extra loud, and they blew them all day. The type of trumpet blown was a ram's horn, for which the ram's uh, Hebrew word shofar. The Hebrew word shofar, ram's horn. The shofar was blown in remembrance of the ram that was sacrificed in place of Isaac. Genesis twenty-two thirteen. 13. Jesus took our place. Thank you. And so we wouldn't have to be sacrificed or judged. Thank you. God used the trumpets of the Old Testament as a means of communicating with his people, his covenant people. <clears throat> God could not speak directly to the people without them being terrified. So he spoke to them indirectly through the use of trumpets. To the Hebrews, the sound of trumpet represented both the voice of God and the might of God in warfare. Voice and might. Originally, two silver trumpets were blown, but they were re later replaced by the shofar. The silver trumpets were made from the same source of silver. They were blown to assemble a people to worship. Yes. 
to break camp in order to move on and as an alarm in preparation of battle. Just, again, all the way through the book of Revelation, uh, if you study it, you see the various times that the, sh the shofar, the trumpets were blown, and you you'll see again that final time and uh, battle. You know, the Lord comes back as a man of war, a commander-in-chief, uh, the, the, the general in charge. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be fun. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be fun to remove evil men that are led by demons and to have no concern over a people that they systematically uh, kill through various creative, ingenuous, uh, demonic ways, uh, like vaccinations. Um, one of the clearest demonstrations of the use of trumpets in warfare is the story of Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. Now remember, Moses died. Uh, if we have relationship with God, it doesn't matter. Uh, we just continue to move on with the Lord. Uh, if your parents die, if you have a relationship with God, you continue to move on with the Lord. Moses is out of way. Joshua continues to move on with the Lord. What the Lord did through Moses, the Lord will do through Joshua. What he did through your parents, he'll do through you if you have a relationship with him. There is no difference. We have to have our own faith. It has to grow, and God will work through you as he's worked through anybody in the past. He's no respecter of people. You can see miracles. Now, Joshua encountered one, uh, identified himself as the commander of the Lord. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. This commander of God army gave Joshua a strange battle plan. When you wait on the Lord, God can give you creative ideas, a battle plan, strategy, what to do, how to do it, maybe where to move, things like this. He can give you clear direction. The key is wait on the Lord and don't move ahead of God. Don't become impatient. Well, God, you didn't move, so I made my own decisions. Well, you might have a lot of problems with your own decisions. Wait on God. That's the key. You'll recognize somebody who's willing to wait on God, how mature they are or how immature. Don't move without God speaking if you don't want a problem. So the angel told Joshua to march his army around the city one day for six days. Seven priests were to follow the army, each blowing a shofar. They were followed another group of priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, who were followed by a rear guard. All were to march in absolute silence. No one was to say a word. Wow. Let us be in unity and let God be in charge. The only noise was the sound of the shofars blown by the priest. On the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. Everyone was to be still. Then a certain point, Joshua was to give a command for the priest to blow one long, long, loud blast on the shofar. Then everyone was to shout at that very moment, according to the commander of God's army, the walls of Jericho would fall down, enabling the Hebrews to take the city, Joshua 6. Wow! What a battle plan. What direction. The shofar, war, victory. Yes. Joshua carried out the battle plan given to him by the commander of God's army. We can be led by the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves. We can know by the Holy Spirit as he directs you. It all happened just as God said, and the Jews soundly defeated their enemy. As God spoke to the people and used trumpets to fight their battles for them, the Jews began to call God the horn. 
of their salvation. That's where it came from. You are the horn of my salvation. By this they meant that God was their deliverer who would fight their battles for them and save them from their enemies. Praise God. Amen? Amen. King David was a great warrior who clearly understood and appreciated the might of God in warfare. He often spoke of God as the horn of his salvation. <clears throat> in Psalm 18, David said to God, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and fortress and my deliverer. Yes. My God, my strength, in whom will I trust? My shield and my horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Yes. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Yes. Psalm 18, 1 through 3, 2 Samuel 22, 3. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is the true commander of the army of God. Revelation 19, 18 through 16. When Zacharias learned that the Messiah was to be born, he prophesied these words concerning him. <coughs> Blessed is the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation <clears throat> for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began then we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us Luke 1 68 through 71 now Zacharias referred to the Messiah Jesus as the horn of salvation who would then save them from their enemies in the first century, the enemy that the Jews wanted to be saved from was Rome. The enemies were looking for a deliverer who would overthrow the Roman government and establish the kingdom of God. Yet, in his first coming, Jesus' purpose was not to destroy the Roman Empire. His purpose was to destroy the works of Satan and the sin in men's heart that made possible the evil and oppression of Rome. He didn't want just <coughs> overthrow one enemy but all enemies in every nation he wanted to bring peace and salvation to all mankind the battle is for the heart of man is it filled with the holy spirit is it filled with evil spirits as the commander of the army of god and the horn of our salvation jesus defeated the enemies of our soul but victory was not an easy one satan did not give up without a fight he is still fighting he has no power unless you give it to him. How do you give it to him? Through sin, through disobedience, through unforgiveness, through backbiting, through murmuring, through gossiping, through a critical spirit. All of these things. Disloyalty, lying, cheating. We give the enemy then power. If you're under the blood, if you commit everything to God, if you repent as you know of sin... He has no power over you. But if you want to be filled with stress and anxiety, worry and bitterness, you open the doors, the gateways for evil spirits to attack you, to torment you. Satan does, didn't give up and he's not giving up. There was a great spiritual battle involved. Immediately after Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, he countered a spiritual warfare. Jesus drew near to the God in preparation for his ministry. Satan came to tempt him in the wilderness for 40 days. Yet Jesus overcame Satan's temptation. God was born as man. God went and was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He moved with the same power and authority now. He said, you can have if you tarry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, Eagle Saving Nations. Go to my website, worldministries.org. Join it today. Paul says that Jesus disarmed and spoiled principalities and powers. Satan and his army. Triumphed over them. Colossians 2.15. The word spoiled means to carry off captive. It refers to an ancient military practice. When a general conquered his enemy, a great homecoming parade would be given in his honor. This was called the Parade of Triumph. When the general came into the city, he would strip the opposing king who had taken captive of all his armor, march him down the main street as part of the parade. The whole city would turn out for the parade and cheer the general and celebrate the victory. Then they gave him the keys to the city. We can have the keys to the city as we win, as we celebrate, as we defeat the enemy, as we're baptized daily in the Holy Spirit. <coughs> By his death and resurrection, Jesus disarmed Satan and took him captive. When he returned to heaven, God the Father had prepared a homecoming parade for him. It was called the Great Parade of Triumph. All the angels came out to meet Jesus. They cheered him by singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory. Revelation 5.12 Then God the Father gave Jesus the key to death in Hades. Revelation 1.18 Paul wrote to the Ephesians that God the Father had given Jesus a position far above all principality and power and might and dominion but also in that which is to come hath all been put under his feet, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. <clears throat> he wrote to the Philippians, therefore God has also exalted him and given him the name above every name, <clears throat> that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of the Father, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Peter writes of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities, powers having been made subject to him. 1 Peter 3.22. The Feast of Trumpets relates to the Christian spiritual warfare. When we experience the reality of the Feast of Pentecost and we are filled with the Spirit, we too will experience spiritual warfare just as Christ did. The closer we draw nigh to God, <clears throat> the more our spiritual battle intensifies. It doesn't get better, it intensifies. Why? Because you're more of a danger to the other side, to the enemy. <clears throat> we become a threat to Satan. We, become, we begin to walk in the power of God. He will do anything he can to defeat us. You must understand these things. Why am I having trouble? Because you now are a threat. When you were not in the kingdom of God, when you're not serious with God, you're no threat. You're a marshmallow that you're not in the way of the enemy, both of demons and men. You're not in the way. You're just nothing to them. But when you are a threat, <coughs> you're attacked. Yes. You go into any battle. If you're a threat, you're attacked. If you're no threat, they leave you alone. You can be in the chow line all you want. But if you're on the front lines and you're drawing blood, you're a threat. And they attack back. Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet of the Lord. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is returning. We don't have to be afraid. And based on what we've shared today and other days, 
would you agree that we need your support? Because if you don't help us, we will lose America. Join Eagles Saving Nations. Eagles Saving Nations. Worldministries.org. Worldministries.org. Give us your very best donation. Let's take back America. God bless you. <laughs>